0: I'm former congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm a millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly.
1: Welcome back. How are you, Gary Jr.? I'm doing good. How are you doing?
0: Doing well, doing well. And today, Gary, you know what I thought we would do? I know we're going to talk about the basketball playoffs. And you know, we're, we're going to talk about that in the Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. But I wanted to kind of talk about baseball because I tell you, I've been looking at the Yankees play over the last couple of weeks, two or three, well, really all season, but really following them almost game after game. In fact, it, uh, on Sunday, they were losing. They were up 3-2 to two, and then it was 3-3 three to three against the Tigers and then they went to the 10th and the Yankees ended up winning 5-4. But more interesting is the fact that the prior three games, the Yankees pitchers allowed just one or two hits. And two of them were going into a perfect game going into the 7th inning. And then the following day, They had it on Nationwide TV. You you had Saberino pitching. And in the second inning, Cabrera hit a ball, a line drive. It was hit so hard, Gabe. It's a line drive to the shortstop. The shortstop, it was hit right at him. The shortstop had his glove right there. The ball hit his glove. It was hit so hard, I thought it was going to rip his glove off. And it went right into left field. They gave him a hit. Now, little did they know that if they had scored that an error, because typically if the ball is hit at you, typically if your ball hits your glove, there ain't no reason why you shouldn't be catching it. And so that was the only thing that kept Savarino away from a no-hitter. He left the game in about the eighth inning, but it, that was the only hit that he gave up, and it really was not a hit. So now you got like three games in which the Yankees have been just totally, totally dominating. Which, you know, obviously all the pundits on the talk shows, they just want to talk basketball, basketball, football, football, football. But let's show a little bit of love for this run that the Yankees are making. They are now, as I'm speaking right now, they're 39 and 15. That's almost, that's 24 games over 500. They are playing some unprecedented baseball. One of the best starts of any Yankee team that, that in, in the last, probably ever, any Yankee team. but And it's been absolutely amazing. In fact, when the Yankees have gotten off to a start like this, they have gone on, I think, three or four times to the World Series and or have won the World Series. So it, it, this is something that is Definitely worth noting, and I wanted to spend a little time talking about it, Gary, because you don't see this every day. And we've we've had a lot of ups and downs. I know you're a Yankee fan as well. We've had a lot of ups and downs over the last few years with the Yankees. And I know I have been, so have you, very critical of Mr. Cashman, very, very critical of Mr. Cashman. I've been critical of Boone. Boone used to take pitchers out just because. Okay, if there's uh, any any eight pitches uh, here are coming out, what? If a guy's pitching well, you leave him in there. And guess what he's doing now? He's leaving him in there, and the pitchers are doing extremely well. I'm going to go over some of the stats a little later, but totally different mentality. He's showing a great deal of confidence in his players. There have been times when a left hander's been up. And the other team would put in a relief pitcher to go against the left-handed batter the Yankees would have. Boone of a couple of years ago would have taken a left-hander out. The left-handed bat would have come out and put a right. Nope. Keep the, keep the guy in. And the guy would be able to go against lefty to lefty, showing that confidence in that guy. And it has and proven to work out well. So defensively, the Yankees are extremely strong Pitching, they're extremely strong. And I haven't even started to talk about hitting because you got a guy by the name of a judge who is on his way to a 62-63 home run year. There is no one in the major leagues within five home runs of this guy. And it's not like there's not love. a lot of players in the major leagues, league who are having great years because there are. Mookie Betts is having a great year is, is normal. Uh, You have a bunch of guys. But the bottom line of it is Judge has gotten off to an unbelievable start, batting three thirteen, and I was very happy, Gary, that they put him in center field. That is like the marquee position for all the great teams. You know, everyone said, "Well, Hank Aaron," you know, "Hank." Aaron. No, Hank Aaron didn't play center field because no one thought Hank Aaron was going to be Hank Aaron. That's that's the problem. But Willie Mays played center field, and you can go through the Yankees' heritage. You got Joe DiMaggio playing center field. You got Mickey Mantle playing center field. They have Bobby Mercer. Oh, yeah, Neilman heard about Mercer, but he was supposed to be the next Mickey Mantle. You had all those guys playing center field, and the other Mickey Mantle-like is Trout. He plays center field. So to have Judge play center field has been a tribute for, to to is a tribute to Judge, and he has played that that position extremely well as the entire Yankee defense thus far. So, so Gary, that's my opening for t- for today. I'm going to get into some details about. Um, what the Yankees have done as far as some of the players that got, they traded and how the new guys have been doing. You have any opening remarks before I dive into that? We're gonna get, folks, 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 I'm getting anxious. Now. We're going to talk about the NBA playoffs, the finals. We're going to talk about that, but I just had to open with the Yankees this week.
1: Well, unlike you, um, I consider myself a Yankee uh, a Yankee fan that's more on the realism side because oh. I feel like a lot of Yankee well, not just Yankee fans, but sports fans, when they talk mm-hmm. about their team, they get super excited one way or the other, either really high or really low, and I try to be as even kill as possible. Um, one, I do agree with you. I do like the fact that Aaron Judge is playing center field because out of all the center fielders, he actually have the speed to, to be able to cover the whole field which is something that's very rare, especially for someone as, you know, at his size It's something that, you know, that you rarely see. So what Aaron Judge is doing right now is incredible. Unfortunately, you know, as Yankee fans, we got to hope that he's not just doing it because his contract's up at the end of the year. And we got to hope that he's actually doing it because, um, you know, he's just developing and he's finally hit his prime and he's healthy, which is a great thing to see that a lot of the Yankee players are healthy. So we can actually see um, how great they really are. But I'm very skeptical about the Yankees right now because it's <laughs> too early in the season, number one. And number two, I got to see how they play against elite teams, um, you know, throughout the re- throughout the regular season. You know, right now they're beating up on a lot of bad teams. So sweeping um, the
0: Tigers up, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <Just> no.
1: <kidding. laughs> uh, no. It means something to no one picking the draft, you know, wherever <laughs> that guy's about to go. But um, it, it, it doesn't mean a lot to you know, if you're trying to win a championship and, you know, the Yankee standards are just like the Lakers, just like the Cowboys, watch me not at the Cowboys, just like the, uh, uh, the Steelers and other, um, elite franchises. It's about winning championships. And if you're not in the position to win a championship, then it really doesn't matter. And right now, I think the Yankees right now, if they play at this level throughout the whole year, which, which the Yankee fans, we hope they do. I don't know if they can beat the Padres or the Dodgers or or teams like that, or even the Mets, the teams that, you know, you know, we don't want to talk about them, but, you know, even, you know, the Mets can make it tough for the Yankees, you know, and that's them playing at this level. So hopefully they will continue to play at this level and hopefully I'm wrong. And they are able to beat consistently beat great teams, not just beat up on the bottom fielders. which they're okay. supposed to okay. do.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, what you're supposed to do. You're you're right. You're right. Well, okay, Gary, I I hear you. I hear you. Let's let's start with the uh, the, the cashman review. Now, you know, I've been very harsh on Cashman over the years and uh, didn't never like the way he handled um, analytics and, and place too much of an emphasis on that, and it's his trades and keeping certain guys. Uh okay, it's, it's a long legacy there. But Gary Sanchez, you know, Gary, I, I talked about him in a negative way all of last year because he was a catcher who couldn't catch. You know, it's, it's like, it, it was just so so depressing to watch him play. Oh, well, he's with he's with he's with the uh, Twins now along with Ursula, who's a good, decent player. And I guess Panetta's there, too. Panetta, Panetta, whatever his name is. He's, the, he's over there, too. So I guess the Twins are like a dumping ground for the Yankees. Years ago, Kansas City was. But anyhow. So he's not – he's having a you – know, he's batting about 224, Gary Sanchez, which is about all right. But he's a little over his weight. Uh, he has six home runs and he has 25 RBIs. Uh, very happy he's gone. Uh, no, not let me say that. Thrilled that he's gone. Okay. Now let's look at Ursula. Ursula's the guy who surprised everybody when he was a Yankee Gary, never played that well for the, for the Indians. I should call him the Guardians. But um, when he got to the Yankees, he started to be able to hit the ball. Always a great fielder. And he's doing fine with, with the uh, Twins. He's batting 268, five home runs, 23 RBIs. Okay. That's a good, you know, bad, you know, good start of the year. Not fantastic, but. You're good. It's a good start. And then we, we have the guy who for one year, this the, the shortened season, I should I, that that was the year, so to speak. Uh Luke Voigt led the league in home runs. He's over with San Diego now, and he's batting 225 uh, with uh four home runs and twelve RBIs. So all of those guys being gone, uh not a bad deal. You know, Panetta weren't even getting him. So those that's a pretty good deal. Now but defensively, the Yankees had a major problem, a major problem with the catcher position, as I alluded to earlier. So now they have two very strong defensive catchers, and one guy was there from last year, Kyle. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. But he's, he's batting, he, he's not really eating up the world as far as his batting average is concerned. Um, you know, Kyle's batting about, uh, about 152. And, you know, he was one of those uh, guys who had a phenomenal spring training. And then, he, then the regular season started, and he got and he came down to earth. Uh, but they have a guy by a great defensive catcher, though. But they have a guy by the name of Jose Tavino, who's playing about an equal amount of games as as Kyle, and he is doing well. He has 15 RBIs, three times as many as Kyle, and he has four home runs as a catcher already. So playing good ba- good baseball, and, and I'm very pleased to say he's one of the. I tell you, that's outstanding defensive catcher. So now they got that position well healed with two guys who can feel the position, handle the position, in the case of Jose Trevino, actually be productive with the bat. So that that's a major turnaround. Now, at the end of the year, Gary, they didn't know what they were going to do at shortstops because Torres wasn't doing too well there. So they got this guy, Isaiah – he's another guy. I can't pronounce his, his last name. That's his name again. Isaiah Kiner – Falafa, And I do not know anything about this guy. And he's come in there, Gary, and has done very well. He's batting 274 at shortstop. Uh, not, doesn't hit for power. does not have a home run yet. 12 RBIs. But a solid, solid fielder. Oh, I should go beyond that. An outstanding fielder. And he also uh, has handled the bat while well, batting 274. I said outstanding fielder, yet I led this show by talking about the fact that he allow the ball to hit his glove, didn't catch it, and cost uh, uh, Soriano a a shutout. But he's doing well playing playing second base, playing shortstop for the Yankees, and that was the pickup. And then you had Donaldson. Now, Donaldson got himself into a lot of controversy of late. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. But he's a former MVP. He's a former MVP, knows how to handle the bat, and has won a gold glove in the past. So he's he's gotten off to a, uh, all right, start. He's batting about two twenty yeah. Five home runs, 17 RBIs. But on this Yankee team, that's not as important. He's he's way down on the list as far as being the most potent player on the team. But yet, he has the potential to really tune it up quite, quite a bit. So he, they added him to the team. And then, of course, you have Rizzo and Gallo. I'll save Gallo for last, but Rizzo has been doing well. He's on course They hit about 39, 35, between 35 and 40 home runs at this point. Again, he has 35 RBIs. He's batting. His average is not that good, about 215, but, but overall, solid first baseman. He handles that, handles the glove well at first base, and he's hit some very, very clutch home runs, and he has about 10 doubles for, the, he has 10 doubles for the Yankees, so we're just second on the team to uh, DJ. So, that was a p- good pickup as well. Now, you have a situation, Gary, where there are two guys who are really in trouble, as far as I'm concerned. In fact, if they left, don't think the Yankees would miss them. That is Aaron Aaron Hicks, great defensive outfielder, but has not been able to perform to the level in which I think an outfielder should be should be able to perform. He has one home run, eight RBIs, and batting two thirteen. That's that's troublesome. Now. What's even more troublesome is a guy who I don't, you know, who I really have a major problem with. And that is, I know he had a home run on Sunday, uh, Joey Gallo. Joey now has six or seven home runs. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, but he's batting far, 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 far less than his weight. He's batting about 176. And to me, you're batting 176, you probably have about 100. You probably have at least 60 home runs. So, Can I
1: interrupt it, you for a second. Yes, so we got to put emphasis on this. He's 6'5, 250, yeah, and he's batting about <laughs> 170. Yeah, which just let's not be nice to him. He's yeah. sticking up the place, yeah. <laughs> and and this is Cashman's fault that he's on the team because Cashman and analytics have hurt the Yankees in this uh perspective. And just to throw this out there as well. Maybe you know, and this is just a theory. Maybe they move Judge over to center field because they want Gallo to play right field more,
0: and they do, they do, but I they also want uh Stanton to get used to playing right field because Stanton has said to the Yankees management he'd rather play right field than any other, he doesn't like playing left field, so he'd rather play right, which field. is
1: which is very interesting because his whole career he's been playing left field, okay? But the
0: Yankees' left field is kind of difficult because it kind of fans out kind of difficult but anyhow i think it's because they're getting ready for the ultimate which could be the world series where they would have to play or else you don't you know play the field or else you don't play and they, they want to make sure that uh stanton's ready to, to handle the, the the position that he feels most comfortable with and i think the yankees even back in the day in the 60s they always looked at the uh they always look at left field as anybody can play it, so to speak even though it's a tough Position to play, but that's been the, the position people come in and out of. Speaking of getting you know, in and out, uh, Mangual and Angelar is asking for a trade. Now, I, I, when you look at the guys I just mentioned, Hicks and Gallo, they're doing nothing. Okay, um, Angelar played third base when at, at the time when he when he played third base, Gary he actually was runner up for Rookie of the Year that year. He had he led the league or was first or second or third in the league in doubles and got hurt. Couldn't get his job back because Ursula played so well. Bottom line of it is, though, Gary, the guy is batting about two eighty And he's in the minor leagues now. <laughs> I mean, come on. Come on. What, what did I just say Hicks is batting? What did I just say Gal's bad. batting? So, anyhow, they have to give some real soul-searching here to, to see whether or not or, or or to figure out why they cannot allow Angelar to um, – to get back to the majors and ideally bump, bump Hicks or Gallo back down or get rid of them or whatever, because the bottom line of it is this guy's a young talent. He's, he's learned a new position, never played outfield before, learned a new position that played it defensively extremely well. And you got to find a place for this guy. And and he's a tough individual clutch hitter, uh, even though he was only there for a short period of time, had a few, had a few RBIs as well. So they got to figure that out. So, uh, but over and all, all in all, Gary, the trades that they've handled, they've handled them well. I think the only problem they have right now is what to do with Gallo. And then you can maybe tolerate Hicks for a little while, but you can't with, with Gallo. You can say, oh, well, Gallo is home runs every once in a But he leads the league. He leads the Yankees in the strikeouts already. I'm probably one of the leaders in the league in strikeouts. Um, I just don't see any value in him. But so... Uh, but I do see a lot of value on Angela. But overall, I would I have to give I have to give um, Cashman somewhat of a decent grade on the pitching side. Well, you want to comment on that, Gary? Before I go to the pitching side,
1: uh, I'm gonna go back to, comes hitters, to the. But, go ahead. Well, yeah, just when it comes to the hitters, I think you have to give Cashman credit for finally listening to the fans and focusing more on guys that are good fielders. And not just guys who hit a bunch of home runs, or or guys who are quote unquote captains of the team, uh, per se. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think I think every player on the Yankee team, you know, is a good fielder. Even though, you know, even Joey Gallo, who, who we were just talking about earlier in a negative fashion, he does have a great arm for the outfield, and he can field in the outfield. So the Yankees have created a team where every player on their team, for the most part, can field at a at least at an adequate level, yeah, which is something that we need to give Cashman credit for.
0: Good point. Good point. And and, and Hicks, he does still bases. He has five stolen bases. He's second in the Yankees in stolen bases. Uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falafa leads the Yankees with about eight stolen bases. Now,
1: let me talk about to this as well. Can I say this real quick? So, yes. so the guy you just mentioned, he was part of the Gary Sanchez trade. The Twins actually signed oh, him. Oh, that's right. That's
0: right. And
1: then, and then uh, about... A month later, he was traded over to the Yankees. But let me just say this as well. It doesn't mean anything that Aaron Hicks is second on the team in steals. I know. No it doesn't. Yankee but the Yankees, Yankees are That's but, right. <laughs> but go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: No, you're right, because the Yankees are still on bases. I, I hear you. You're, you're absolutely right. I just thought I'd give, give throw, throw, throw Aaron Hicks a bone somewhere. But uh, you're right, Gary. Now, just touch upon hitting before I switch over to pitch, pitching. Turn around years glaber torres is doing well now that could just be a temporary situation because the guy's been up and down up and down up and down but he's on course at about 30 home runs this year he has 10 already and he's batting about 247 and the yankees have been able to play him at times batting third and batting fifth which is um you know positions that are uh, run producing type of positions and he's getting a good number of rbis as well he has 26 so um we're hoping that it's real. He's he's playing where he's comfortable at second base every single day. He's he's handling that position extremely well. And then, of course, DJ LeMay, who, who won a batting title with the Yankees, as well as winning one in the National League, something that many people haven't done. Um, not many people have done, I should say. He's batting 253 right now, but DJ is a, just a clutch hitter. I mean, he has four home runs, but he's clutch. Those home runs have come when you really, really needed them. Um, I, I tell you, in the clutch situation, I think I would rather have DJ up than anybody else on the Yankees, short of ju- Aaron Judge, quite frankly, because he is that that type of that good of a, of a player, and I I, I really uh, like the way he plays, and he plays really hard and hits the ball hard all the time. Rather, it's a hit or not, it's hit hard. Doesn't strike out either. And so the Yankees, as far as hitting is would be concerned, I left out Staten I should not have. He has 11 home runs now, 35 RBIs. He's second on the Yankees in both categories. Uh, just came off of an ankle injury. And he's batting eighty two, 282, which is very good for Stanton. So the Yankees, you know, they're going to be all right as far as hitting the ball. And I tell you, Gary, the only thing that's even more impressive than they're hitting the ball is the way they're pitching the ball. But if you get a lot of hits, score a lot of runs, you're going to have a lot of wins for the pitchers. I'm going to delve into the pitchers now next, next Gary, because I think that's one of the most. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, this this is really remarkable, Gary. I have to think back to the Yankees in the 60s, early 60s, when you had Waddy Spitball, Spitball uh, Ford pitching. Yeah, I did say that, Spitball. That's because that's funny, too. <laughs> so, but anyhow, he said he did it for one year, but he didn't. He, did it, he didn't do it the year he won the Cy Young Award, won 25 games, lost three. But he may have done it the following year when he won 24 games. Well, anyhow, let's, let's move right along because there are a lot of pitchers who, who did that during that period of time. I just happened to see Whitey Ford pitch all the time, and it was amazing how you know, sometimes that ball would just move all over the place. But anyhow, uh, speaking of a player who had a little problem with uh, the, ch- the rule change, let's talk about Garrett Cole. Garrett, Garrett Cole, one of the top pitchers in baseball, one of the, I think he leads the league in strikeouts at 81 already, which is amazing. He's five and one. He has an earned run average of two point seven eight. You can say, "Wow, that's a great start. He must be the best." No. You got Nestor Cortez. Nestor Cortez is five and one. floated with a couple of no hitters. Um, you know, one low hitter and yeah, perfect game and a no hitter. Um, earned run average. <laughs> he's like second in baseball, one point five zero. And he has 68 strikeouts, which also would put him in the top 10 of all the pitches in baseball. He's 5-1. So you scratch your head and you go, oh, that's pretty good. Now, remember the guy I talked about earlier in the show, the guy who led, who had a no-hitter? It would have been a no-hitter if a guy had caught the ball. Uh, Luis Severino. Well, he's a 4-1, coming off of a major injury. He didn't even play last year. Uh, 2.95 run average. And he has 61 RB, uh, strikeouts. So those four guys, three, oh, wait a minute. I forgot the guy who leads the team and wins. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Those guys aren't even the top pitcher of the team. The guy who has the most wins is Jamison Talion. He's 6-1. and one. Yeah, I said that right. 6-1, and one, 2.3 on run average. He, has, he leads the major leagues and wins. So, OK, I mentioned those four guys. And then you got another guy, their fifth starter, Jordan Montgomery, who, uh p- pitching in a lot of hard luck games. He's only one and one, but 3.02 earned run average. So you have a starting five, which is absolutely amazing. Obviously, in the playoffs, Jordan um, Montgomery probably wouldn't make the cut as far as rotation because they usually use four pitchers. What a start. In fact, you have to go all the way down the roster to find any Yankee, any Yankee who has two losses. That's amazing. You played you' see thirty nine and fifteen you played that many games. and Chapman has the worst record. Chapman's own 2 That's the worst record. Now there's two other guys who have two losses as well, but no big deal because with the when you look at the bullpen, you got a guy by the name of Clay Holmes. Who's four and zero? His earned run averages, let me get it right now, guys. 0.34. He hasn't allowed a run in I don't know how many weeks. So he is he's the leader in the bullpen. But you have the guy who was a leader last year. He's gone off to a slow start. You know he's gonna be there. That's Jonathan Lasega. And but you have another, two other starters. I'm sorry, two other relievers who are also extremely good. Miguel Castro's two and zero. Oh. And then you have, you have um, Michael King, who's three and one with a three two point nine one or two point nine zero um, earned run average. So some of the big stars from the bullpen, like Chad Green, who's unfortunately injured, from probably be gone for the rest of the year with Tommy John surgery, um, they won't be missed. And Britain, who's supposed to come back soon, hasn't been missed. Has, has truly has not been. Uh, Someone that the Yankees have missed either, and then Clark Sch- uh, Schmidt's having a decent year. I shouldn't say decent, but he has two losses. Well, that's not bad for the Yankees. He's three and two, earned run average one point seven two. I mean, the Yankees. This is just totally, totally ridiculous. And then they have a guy who hasn't allowed a run yet, J.P. Sears. I haven't even seen him pitch yet. He's two and zero. Oh. I mean, so the Yankees are just extremely, extremely strong. So, Gary, let's talk about the NBA Finals. Now, I have picked Golden State, and you had picked the Celtics. Well, kudos to you so far, Gary. Unfortunately, we don't know the results of Sunday game yet because it's a Sunday night game, and we're taping this a little earlier than Sunday night. Um, yeah, 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 okay. I'm telling you when we tape. But the bottom line of it is, Gary, um, I could not believe I could not believe that like, the, the Warriors lost that first game. Now, I have to admit, I fell asleep. I fell asleep going into the fourth quarter. But I figured, you know, I relaxed a little bit. They were up by like 12, 14 points, 12 points, 10 points, 11. Figured going into the fourth quarter, Steph Curry's throwing the ball, and he could just bounce it off his head and it was going in. There's no way they were going to lose. And Oh, by the way, they're in Golden State. They had the fans behind them. Next thing I knew when I woke up, they, were, they lost the game by, like, by double digits. I said, wait a minute, how do you blow a double digit lead and lose by double digits? So I was just amazed. But then I heard it the Horford factor. I mean, the guy got his first taste of the finals. Well, not the, you know, obviously the whole Celtic team's getting, yeah, the whole Celtic team are getting their first taste of the finals. But uh, Horford, who'd been playing for a long time, he really was hungry. And apparently he just couldn't miss. And the bench. Now I did say this, Gary. I said the, the Celtics bench could prove to be the difference because the the Warriors bench, because of injuries and this, the, the bench is not that strong. Uh, you know, could be a liability. So, what do you what do you have to say about the the first game,
1: Gary? Well, I think uh, the biggest uh, issue for the Golden State Warriors came up, and that's Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole. Hmm. and I think. I think, I think it's very important because a lot of people were dumping on Kevin Durant, uh, especially on the mainstream media, especially when Golden State made it to the NBA Finals. But there's a reason why they added Kevin Durant, because Harrison Barnes was so bad, they didn't have a choice but to yeah. find a replacement for him. and. And they replaced Kevin Durant with Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins. unlike what the national media says that they just replaced him with Andrew Wiggins, which is not true. They replaced him with two guys that can yeah. get you almost 20 points a game. Yep,
0: yeah, that's true. So
1: hoping that those two guys can snap out of it and have a great game is important for Golden State because Steph Curry, because of the way that the games are officiated, especially in the NBA finals, it's more physical. And it, it doesn't allow Steph Curry to get a lot of open looks. Now, in the first quarter, Boston, for some reason, were going under screens. which made absolutely no sense. Yeah. And Steph yeah. Curry was just knocking him down because he's wide open. Yeah. So, you know, they eventually changed it. And later in the game, you know, they actually, you know, got over the screens and they were playing them a lot tougher. But what I want to see um, in game two and, and in game three, because I believe Golden State's going to win uh, game two. I just believe that, you know, They're not going to lose two games in Golden State. I think they're going to win game two. But there's a very high chance that they could lose game three. And that's because of what I was trying to tell you earlier, is that Boston, not just a deeper team, but they have more reliable guys that can get 15 points. Mm -hmm. You know, we all, you know, we trust Jalen Brown to get you 20 points. We... You know, Jason Tatum was terrible in game one. He was absolutely terrible from the scoring perspective. He did have 13 assists, but he was awful um, from the scoring perspective. He was three for 17. Ooh, he was. I don't expect Al Horford to score 26 points and hit five (laughs) to three. I don't expect that. But can Al Horford get you 15 points? Yeah. Can Marcus Smart get you 15 points? Yeah, I do. You know, Grant Williams was terrible, too. I expect him to get you 10 to 15 points. So – Boy, how about the guy be, White? That's the guy who, who uh, also put right. in this. That's right, Derek White. Yep, 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 yep. So it's they got a bunch of guys on their team that can get you 10 to 15 points, and that's how they're able to beat teams. And Golden State is really going to need Clay Thompson and, Dray, and Draymond Green. Draymond has to start shooting the ball, and and Clay Thompson is going to have to kind of get back to his old form and get close to 20 points a game for them to compete with the Boston Celtics. Um, it's going to be a long, grueling series. You know, I was impressed that Boston won Game One, but I also know that Boston played pretty perfect in the fourth quarter. And I don't expect that to happen again in Game Two, but I'm I'm at the mindset that uh, even if Boston somehow beats Golden State in Game Two, which I don't see happening, I still think it will go a long series. Mm-hmm. It'll be a long series because I don't see Golden State, you know, falling. And losing three straight games, you know, in the NBA Finals, if that happen, you know, if that would happen, which I don't believe it will, so I expect Golden State to win Game Two, and I expect Boston to win Game Three, but I expect Game Three to be a very, very close game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I, I I think Game Three is going
0: to be rather exciting because I think the, the Warriors are going to want to pick up a game after. Blowing a game on on, on their home court. So I think it should be rather exciting. I wish we could talk about game two. But once again, we're taping this beforehand. But I, I too, Gary, don't see Golden State losing game two, losing two games on their home court to start the the, the finals. I just don't see that happening. So so I think we're going to be looking at that pivotal game three where the Celtics are going to want to um, maintain home court advantage. I'm not home court advantage, but home home pick up every single game at home,
1: which which is absolutely. Well, you're necessary. right. You're right. It's home court advantage oh, because they stole advantage. because they stole home court from that, Golden State. That is true.
0: State. That is true. So they're going to want to maintain. They're going to want to pull that game off. So that's going to be a, that's going to be a big game, and I think the Celtics fans are going to play a major role in that game because. You know they haven't seen the finals in, in quite some time, and and they are a championship c- c- city when it comes to basketball, at least. Well, we know obviously the Patriots done pretty well too. So uh, that's how not talk about those baseball p- team in Boston. So so it's 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 going to be a very very exciting uh, series, Gary. So I'm I'm looking forward to each and every game. And at this point, I'm still confident that my Golden State Warriors will pull it off.
1: So we're out of time for today.
0: Don't forget to subscribe.